Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Self-aggrandizement. That's the nothing personal word of the day. Why would I choose that? Because that's exactly how to describe Steven Strasberg and Scott Boris. Self-aggrandizement means when you exaggerate your own importance or your own power. Word came out after he signed his seven-year, $245 million deal that a very specific request was made by Strasberg before he would agree to sign with the Nationals. That request He wanted Nationals Park to stay open all year long so he could work out even during the winter. Well, Scott, I appreciate the fact that you share that with us, but that's what self-aggrandizing is. Nationals Park is already open all year. The clubhouse is open. The training room is open. All a player has to do is walk in the door, and we'd even meet you and unlock it or give you your own ID and your own fob. The word of the day is self-aggrandizement, and you know all about that, Scott and Steve. I'm sitting last night, I'm watching a movie, it's late, and I'm thinking, "Ah, it's 9 o'clock in San Diego, it's not a Saturday, what could happen? I'm monitoring my phone, I'm watching CBS Sports HQ, and then it happens. Garrett Cole has agreed to sign with the New York Yankees, reported by John Heyman. Well, when John Heyman reports something that has to do with a Scott Boris client, you know it's true. So I immediately sat up. I texted Randy and I said, I'm available. I'm ready to go on the air and talk about this. How could it be that Garrett Cole, the most sought after free agent of the entire offseason, we had to wait until spring training to get last year's big time free agents to sign? How did Scott Boris get these players signed? And then I saw the terms, and that was it. Nine years, $324 million. That's $36 million a year. Why is it that the Yankees offered 9324? Well, we found out. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim desperately needed to sign Garrett Cole to match him with Mike Trout. We talked about it yesterday on Nothing Personal and All Day on the Queue that the Angels had to make a big move. Their manager, Joe Madden, their newly crowned manager, said they were going to make a big move, and everyone assumed that Cole wanted to be on the West Coast. Well, for those loyal listeners of Nothing Personal and of or HQ, you know that it's not about where the team is located. It's about who offers the most money. It's not about Garrett Cole, where he lives during the off season. It's about every two weeks the size of the paycheck. The Yankees offered a ninth year, and that's exactly what Boris was waiting for, and it was never going to get bigger than that offer, so they agreed and took it before the Yankees could change their minds. It's not a surprise to anyone that the Angels and the Dodgers both offered eight years, around $300 million, maybe a little under. That would have been the record. An eight-year deal, there's zero chance of an eight-year deal working. 
and you've got the Los Angeles Angels coming off the big 10-year $240 million deal with Albert Pujols, which has not worked out in any way. You've got the Dodgers, who have not signed any free agent for over $55 million since Andrew Friedman joined them. Yet both were willing to go to $300 million to get an ace because they both need an ace. But the Yankees needed him more. You want to talk about the perfect storm for a player? How about finishing second in the Cy Young, going to the World Series, becoming a pitcher who leads the league in strikeouts, throws over 200 innings, and will pitch at 29-30 your free agent year? That's called Yahtzee. Or I guess in this case, we'd have to call it Monopoly. Will there be buyer's remorse for the Yankees? Undoubtedly. But that buyer's remorse will come at a time when we, the fans, will have forgotten about it because Garrett Cole will have won the day today and will help the Yankees get to the World Series tomorrow, win them a ring the day after tomorrow. Don't worry about 10 days from now, which is my code for years 7, 8, and 9, when he will not be effective, when he won't be able to throw 95, 96. Two extra years more than Strasburg, you say. It makes sense. Strasburg is pitching at 32, Cole at 30. Strasburg, big injury history, Cole none. I understand all of the reasons why the Yankees would do it. It still doesn't make it right. This doesn't change any issues between the MLB labor union and MLB in itself. The top of the food chain always gets paid, and the numbers keep growing higher and higher. It used to be David Price at $217 million. Then it was Steven Strasburg at $245 million. And now it is Garrett Cole at $324 million. Is that it? Will there ever be another free agent who finds the exact time to be wanted by teams on both coasts, both of whom, all of whom could afford to have him, none of whom could afford to miss him? Could it ever happen again? I spent 18 years telling myself that this moment was a moment that would never happen again. This player, we've got to get him. This catcher, this pitcher, this position player, this manager, now, now, now. In baseball and in all sports, when you run a team, you are taught to think about now. That's what you're paid to do, to satiate the fans' interest in winning, to satiate your owner's interest in accruing rings and revenue and asset appreciation. You are taught not to put deferrals on the books, not to overpay for players. But then you get during the winter meetings, you read rumors, you read on Twitter, you read on blogs, all the teams who are interested. And owners suffer from something that they don't even know what it stands for. It's called FOMO. Every single owner reads every single rumor and suffers from FOMO. Fear of missing out. Except I say FOMO stands for something else. It's a fear of owners making other decisions. That'd be FOMO'd. Because if the Yankees had lost Garrett Cole, what would the scenario be? They've spent a ton of money on pitching, on position players, signing free agents, payrolls that exceed the luxury tax. Yet somehow they would be looked at by the fan base as a failure for not securing Garrett Cole. You don't think that the Steinbrenner family felt that? 
You don't think the Steinbrenner family felt that the articles being written were that the Yankees had not made the World Series in the last decade, and that was the first decade since the 1910s? You don't think the owners realized, the Steinbrenner family, the sons, Hal Steinbrenner, Hank Steinbrenner, that they didn't read articles that said, without starting pitching, the Yankees do not have a chance to win another ring? Is it possible that the Steinbrenners sit around watching CBS Sports HQ? Yes, it is on in major league offices. We are watching when we are executives because we've got FOMO. So the Yankees stepped up and they hit the ask. There's no way that Boris expected nine years for Garrett Cole. There's no way a nine-year deal can work out. So from a financial standpoint, this is not a $36 million deal, folks. The Yankees look at this as about a $70 million deal. They're going to pay Cole in their mind $70 million times about five years because that's the most they can hope for through his age 34 to 35 season that he has a chance to replicate what he re- what he did for the Astros last season. In a shocking display of, of course this happened, the Red Sox are now looking to trade David Price. We've talked about this a little bit on the queue, but let's give you an inside look into what happens in the Boston Red Sox room as they're in the winter meetings watching the Yankees sign Garrett Cole. As they know they've got to lower their payroll below the luxury tax threshold. As they know they just hired Chaim Bloom, who comes from Tampa, in order to help run the Red Sox the way the Rays were run, much like the Dodgers are run by Andrew Friedman, who also comes from Tampa. Not a coincidence. So David Price signed what at the time was the largest deal in history for a pitcher free agent. 7-217. Do you all remember what went on in Beantown when that was signed before the 2016 season? I do. Celebration. It was celebrating the good times. It was like Cool and the gang were there, excited except no one thought about seven years. They were thinking about 2016 when David Price threw 230 innings in his first year as a Red Sox player. But what happened after that when he threw 74 innings and then 176 and then 107? David Price has not been close to the top pitcher in baseball. He had something very important, though. He did what CC Sabathia did in New York. He got the ring. If you get the ring, it makes it all worth it. Except now. When the Red Sox ring is in the rearview mirror. That was 17. They couldn't repeat. And then they realized that they don't have enough to actually stick with the Yankees. They may not even have enough to stick with the Rays. The question is, are they going to trade Mookie Betts or David Price? They would trade David Price to any one of the 29 other teams right now if anyone would pay David Price's remaining salary. But nobody's going to do that because if David Price were a free agent right now, you think he'd be getting $96 million over three years? Mark to market, David Price would get approximately at best 54 over three. At best, an $18 million pitcher. That means that in order for the Red Sox to trade him, they're going to have to send about $42 million to the team which acquires David Price. Why is it worth it? 
because even that amount of savings to a big market team like Boston that gets them and inches them closer to below the luxury tax threshold, even that is enough. So the Red Sox trading price, that is where the Yankees will be as they hold on to Garrett Cole in year six, seven, eight, nine, when they figure out how to pay him down. Do you think that Arizona Diamondbacks paid down Zach Renke? They did when they moved him to Houston. This happens over and over again. The excitement that we have during the winter when these players get signed dissipates slowly over time the way your car depreciates after you drive it off the lot. Eventually, it ends up in the scrap heap. And that's what happens to every player as they get older. They carbon date themselves down. They never hit zero. But eventually, the return becomes non-existent. So we have a situation. Two things are going on at the winter meetings that were announced today. One was a rumor. One was an actual scientific study. The first one is the San Diego Padres. I want to tell the story of the Padres because it fascinates me. They are an interesting franchise. Do you remember when they brought in A.J. Preller, their GMM, their general manager, and they signed all these big free agents? They had James Shields. They brought in Craig Kimbrell, and they were looked at as the team to beat. Everyone was super excited, and then they were terrible. They traded them all away, and they started over, and then they signed more players for more money. Eric Hosmer, Will Myers, Manny Machado. They built up their farm system. Everyone was super excited. And then they weren't good again. Well, now it seems the Padres are back at it. Reports out of the winter meetings are that they're going to have a huge, huge offseason. Very active. Lots of trades. Lots of signings. Why are the Padres doing this? It all goes back to the owner. His name is Ron Fowler. Ron Fowler, who I've known since he got into the game, is one of the nicest people and smartest people you'll meet in baseball. He actually was at the negotiating table, the last collective bargaining agreement. And he's the type of guy, when he sits at a table, he, he looks really calm. And, and he's sort of, um, he's my size. He weighs more than I do. For those not watching, I'm small. And Ron Fowler is sort of more round than I am. But he just has this easygoing way about him. But then all of a sudden he'll open his mouth and out will come something where your your head will explode because it will be brilliance masked with agenda. And that's what he does and that's how he succeeds. Well, this offseason he said, if we don't win in 2020, heads are going to roll and it could even be mine. Well, my head exploded when he said that because, of course, his head will never roll. He is the owner of the team. Owners don't get fired. The heads who are going to roll are the GM, A.J. Preller. They already fired the manager, Andy Green. So, of course, they're going to be dizzying active. They better be because if they're not in the playoff hunt in September, you will see significant changes in San Diego. So in the winter meetings, that happened that's at, that sort of rumored. But then something happened that was real that we have to talk about because I can't even imagine how fascinating this is to me. Have you heard of juiced baseballs? Well, here's how it works inside Major League Baseball. You've got the commissioner, and he's got his name is Rob Manford. You have a bunch of very smart people. And they also read media because the PR department, led by Pat Courtney, they give clips to everybody. 
Clips are like articles. They literally print out clips and email them and give them to be read. Well, there's been a lot of talk in the last season about juiced balls. The pitchers, just outright led by Justin Verlander, complained that for whatever reason, home runs were flying out of baseball parks as though the the big league players were juiced again. It reminded them of the steroid days. Anytime MLB hears steroids, they go into a complete panic, almost like rigor mortis sets in. And they go to their knee-jerk reaction, which is, let's commission a study. So MLB hired a bunch of scientists and doctors to study the ball and figure out whether or not, in fact, the ball was juiced. Now, the funny part is this is the second time in about five years that they've commissioned such a study. But what was interesting is they decided to release the study now. And don't think that's an accident. Any study that's released by Major League Baseball, we plan the exact day, the exact moment, and to the exact reporter, we're going to leak the story, and then when we are going to give the full story out to the whole media. It is completely calculated. And the study is not a surprise to us. We see the study first. We read the study, we decide whether we agree with it, we come up with PR statements and thoughts, we come up with an announcement, we tell the scientists and the doctors what to say, it becomes a completely manufactured event, as it should be. It's not just baseball, folks. Football, you think they don't know the results when they do internal investigations before they announce it? Of course they do. So MLB did this study because they needed to prove that they were not juicing the balls. And of course, people around the sport who are sort of fans and just sort of interested in a juicy story, they think, what does it mean to have a juiced baseball? Do you actually take a syringe and put a syringe into a baseball and fill it with steroids? Like, can you imagine Barry Bonds just sitting there putting syringes into baseballs day after day? Baseball after baseball? No, I can't. That's not what it actually means. A juice baseball is a baseball that simply is different than previous year's baseballs. And for whatever reason, the baseball does not have as much drag. Therefore, it flies out of the park more. Well, the scientists discovered that in fact, and this is coming from the 27-page study, in fact, 60% of the reason of the increased home runs was because of the drag. But 40%, this is outstanding, 40% of the increase in home runs is because players using a different approach to hitting, meaning they were using launch angle, meaning they were studying how to swing, get down on the knob and swing out of their tush and hit it out of the park because that's how they get paid. Are you supposed to believe that? I don't, and here's why. I spoke to major league pitchers, and it is contained in this study. The seams on the balls were different this year. They felt different, and pitchers pitch by feel. The way they get movement on the ball, the way they get spin is all through seams. And if you screw with the seams, you have changed everything about the ball, how it gets pitched, how it gets hit, and how it flies through the air. Is it possible MLB and Rawlings had no idea that the seams were different? All they had to do was ask a player, any player, a former player, anybody to hold the baseball that was used this year, and they would have been told immediately there's something wrong with the seams. 
So when there's something wrong with the seams, could they have fixed it quickly enough? Did they fix it in time for the postseason when there are rumors that the balls were no longer juiced? When the amount of home runs completely decreased? Were the seams thinner? If you ask the pitchers, they would tell you the balls felt different. The question is, what will they do next year? And my answer is the balls will stay the same. No juice, heavy on the seam. A.J. Hinch had to meet the media during uh, during winter meetings. So the way it works is we talked a little bit about this. Every manager has to meet the media. That's just their job. And we try to tell our manager what to say. But sometimes you don't tell the manager or you don't tell him enough. And then the manager gets into a huge pickle. And that is exactly what happened to A.J. Hinch yesterday. Now, remember, A.J. Hinch is a guy who manages the Houston Astros. You remember the Houston Astros are a team that's been investigated for cheating and for sign stealing and for having a camera in center field focused on the opposing team's catcher, giving the sign to the hitter by banging on a trash can or flashing lights or whatever the case may be. It is causing one of the biggest investigations that MLB has seen, trying to figure out how widespread this cheating is. A.J. Hinch, as the manager of the team in question, meets the media for the first time since losing Game 7 of the World Series to Davey Martinez and the Washington Nationals. The first question he's asked, what could be more obvious? You're listening to this show right now. Let's say you were doing the interview. And by the way, thank you for listening, subscribing, downloading. Please rate it five stars. I think there's a place where you have your podcast. Give it five stars. And you can follow on Twitter. Uh, David P. Sampson. But what's the first question you'd ask A.J. Hinch? You would say to him, excuse me, do you have any comment on the investigation that's going on? And that was the first question. And his answer was, I have no comment. I cannot talk about that. Davy Roberts was asked the same thing. MLB made a huge mistake. MLB needs to know that the winter meetings are going on, that managers are going to be in front of the media, and they're going to decline to discuss it. Well, the investigation's ongoing. The manager spoke to the PR people of their teams who spoke to the PR people of MLB, and it was decided as a group that the best course of action would be no comment. Well, that's wrong. The best course of action is a guaranteed comment, and here's what A.J. Hinch should have said. Well, I appreciate that question, and this is something that's been bothering me since the allegations came out. I can only tell you that I'm in complete support of any investigation that's being done by Major League Baseball because I want the truth. I had nothing to do, nor did I have any knowledge of any stealing of signs other than what is permissible. No technology was used. No nefarious activity took place. The reality is that we are a good home team. We played well at home, but I want this investigation to go all the way through to the end so that me and my organization and my players will be found to have not cheated. That's possibility one if you're not guilty. Possibility two if you know you're guilty and you know someone's getting fired. You still don't say no comment. You take the microphone, the question's asked, what do you think of the cheating scandal? And you take the microphone and say, I'm in complete support of what Major League Baseball is doing in investigating this allegation of cheating. Whatever the investigation turns up, I assure you that both 
I and the Astros will fully put the weight of our organization behind and make sure that those responsible will be held to the highest possible standards of ethical codes because integrity of this game matters more than anything else. And I'd leave it at that. Now, that is saying that, hey, I'm guilty. We're guilty and we know it. If you're guilty and you know it, clap your hands. If you're guilty and you know it, stop saying no comment. So they're guilty, but that would have been the second way. Now, what if A.J. Hinch is the one who was actually in charge of the cheating? What if it wasn't Jeff Lunau? What if A.J. Hinch actually submitted the capital expenditure request to get the camera in center field? What if he were the mastermind of this huge scandal? Well, A.J. Hinch, you got to take the mic, and here's what you say. I've discussed this with baseball. As you know, their investigation is ongoing. The reason I'm not going to comment at this time is anything I say has a really strong likelihood of increasing the size, length, and duration of my definite punishment. I want to say that to the extent that I did anything that was against the rules, that was a mistake that will never be replicated by me, and I apologize on behalf of myself and the organization for causing any sort of embarrassment to the Houston Astros or Major League Baseball or my players. Because for anyone to think that my players would not have won a World Series or won a playoff series because we had access to signs through technology, for anyone to think that just because we violated a MLB rule that will result in a significant punishment that my players do not deserve the accolades, MVP awards, and world championship rings that we have, you're wrong. Those are your three choices, A.J. Hinch. I wish you had taken one of the three. Dave Roberts had a choice of what he could say. Dave Roberts, can you imagine being a first-time manager? You, make your, you, win the, you win your division. You take over for Don Mattingly. You win your division. You make it to the World Series. You've gone to the World Series two out of three years. You just don't have a ring, but you're hugely successful. You're on the hot seat all the time, but you don't end up ever getting fired, which you shouldn't because you're a really good manager. Now we put you in front of the media and we ask you about your off-season plan. And what we really mean by that is, are you willing as an organization to spend more than $55 million on a free agent? Can we get Rendon? Can we get Cole? Can we get someone to help us win our first World Series, Coca, Coca, since 1988? I believe the last Dodgers World Series was 1988. That's the Kirk Gibson year. I'm delaying this conversation, waiting for my guy Coca to say, yes, it was 1988. God, Coca, faster on the Google. So an organization like the Dodgers, top payroll, huge success, no World Series. So Dave Roberts meets the media and says, listen, we have a great offseason plan. And the reason our off-season plan is great is for two things that happened. One, our owner, Mark Walters, has been intimately involved in every decision we've made. And two, Justin Turner is willing to switch positions? This is what Dave Roberts was talking about? Listen, Dave, can I just give you a little hint? Number one. Mark Walters has always been involved. It's only that Stan Cast and the team president sort of likes to pretend that owners aren't involved, but they are. 
and Andrew Friedman, of course, is making decisions as the president of baseball ops. You're paying him $10 million. On the other hand, you think that any of these signings take place without Mark Walters knowing? Every owner in baseball is involved in large free agent signings. You sign a guy to one year, you tender arbitration to Jock Peterson. That stuff some owners may not care about. But you want to sign Cole or Rendon to 200 or $300 million deals, and you think that having your owner involved is a benefit? Dave, it's the only way those deals happen. And what about Justin Turner? You're happy that he was willing to change positions? Well, let me ask you a question where you all work. Let's say that I call out right now to Ruben, who's sitting trying to figure out what he's going to do now for the next 15 minutes until the show's over. And let's say he's called by his employer and saying, hey, we're switching your position. Not your desk location. We're actually going to switch what job you do. Do you think he says absolutely not? No chance you hired me to sit in this chair and do this job. I will not do what you're asking me to do. That would be ridiculous. Justin Turner, just because he's a player, we asked him not to play third base. If we get Rendon, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about maybe playing first on a consistent basis? Maybe a few games here or there at second? Maybe outfield? Maybe become a utility guy, but still will get you in there for 500 at-bats? What do you think Justin Turner is going to say? He's got no choice in the matter. And the reason I know about this is I made the same mistake that the Dodgers are making. We actually, in 2012, asked Hanley Ramirez if he would change positions and how he would feel about bringing in Jose Reyes and having him play shortstop. And Hanley said he'd love it, no problem, except he didn't mean it. And that was the beginning of the end of our season in 2012, which, as you may or may not know, ended in complete disaster and, of course, a huge trade with the Blue Jays. But this day and age, someone like Justin Turner, if he says no to a position change, you remind him of the time he was almost non-tendered. You remind him of the time when he wasn't going to make intergenerational wealth the way he has now. I'm not going up to Justin Turner and asking him to switch positions and then pretending that my offseason was made easier because he said yes. Give me a break. Stu Sternberg did something. It's a lot of baseball. We're going to get to some football, a little soccer, actually. But I, I have to talk about Sue Sternberg, who is a, the owner of the Tampa Bay Rays. He's a man who I greatly respect. We've talked about his stadium situation. We've talked about the mayor of the city of St. Petersburg and how they won't allow a split city situation. Well, Stu Sternberg met the media and said something that can't be true, and I'll tell you why. Stu Sternberg was asked about Montreal. Montreal is a city I know very well. I worked there for two years. You know that. And the plan is that they want to spend half the year in Tampa and half the year in Montreal. It's a plan that has zero chance of happening. Less than zero. It's not even good enough to be a wait to see. But Stu Sternberg said, quote, an overwhelming majority of people across baseball see the brilliance in the Montreal-Tampa Bay split city plan. I got to say it one more time, if you don't mind. The overwhelming majority of people across baseball see brilliance in the Montreal-Tampa Bay split city plan. Hey, Stu. Find me one guy who said it was brilliant. 
one person who has anything to do with actually the sport of baseball. Not someone in Montreal who's trying to get a team back. Not someone in Tampa who's trying to get a stadium built. Find me one person who's ever worked in baseball, not a fan, who's worked in baseball, who's played an inning on the field in baseball. Find me one who tells you that it's a brilliant plan. I think you misspoke. What you meant to say is that the Montreal-Tampa Bay split city plan is brilliant in order to move the team into a fully publicly financed retractable roof facility in either Montreal or northern New Jersey or Tampa or St. Petersburg. Then I would agree with you. Because then you'd be right. Because I could find scores of people who would agree in the brilliance of your coming up with the Montreal-Tampa split city plan. Which, by the way, is so patently ridiculous that everyone inside the game realized it was a joke. But the politicians potentially didn't. That maybe there's a chance that you can use it as leverage. But why did you take the extra step right now, Stu? Why did you say that everyone within baseball sees the brilliance of the split city plan? Finish the sentence. That's why it's so misleading when owners and players and people speak to the media. Because we are trying to manipulate you. We are using words that are exactly perfectly chosen. I would spend hours a day, literally hours a day, looking at quotes in press releases, thinking about messaging to the media, thinking about ways to manipulate what I wanted to say and what I wanted you to hear and what I wanted you to read. And the reason that it's so important to manipulate is that I need to control your narrative. Now we're together on this podcast. I do this on this show. I'm here for you. I'm talking about topics that you're interested in. This was a topic that actually came to me from you. We call it So You Want to Talk to Samson. I like that because that's from a movie called Half-Baked. And you send me a DM to my Twitter at David P. Samson. And I love talking about these things because I want to know what interests you. But when I was in the game as a team president, I didn't care what interested you. I cared what I wanted you to hear. I cared what I wanted you to think. And I cared about how I would manipulate what you would hear and what you would think. That's my job as president of a major league baseball team or any organization. My job as host of Nothing Personal is exactly the opposite. It's to take what people in sports are saying and give you the truth and decode it and tell you what they should have done, what they should have said, but what they couldn't say and what they couldn't do. And this Stu Sternberg is an exact example of why Nothing Personal to me, is the best 45 minutes of my day, and I hope of your day too. One of the things that I love to do every day for this show is I get to review a different movie or a different show. Today I'm reviewing a show called Late Night. Late Night is a movie starring Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson is not an ordinary actress. Uh, If you've seen Love Actually, I could do a whole list of top five Emma Thompson movies. Love Actually, um, Saving Mr. Banks comes to mind. She was in Sense and Sensibility. Uh, One of my favorites was uh, Stranger Than Fiction with Will Ferrell. Late Night is a phenomenal turn by Emma Thompson, who was nominated for a Golden Globe for her performance. 
It's a show about an aging, washed-up, late-night TV show host. All right, stop with the jokes. I'm not old, and I'm not even... I haven't done this long enough to be washed up. But she's washed up. She's lost her audience. I'm still gaining mine. And they're trying to get rid of her. And she has only male writers around helping her. She will not work with women. Now, that would be offensive in this day and age if this movie weren't written by and starring Minda Kaling. You may, you may know her from The Office. Yes, very well known. Very talented. She wrote this movie and stars in it. And she loves the host, late night host. And she wants to work for her and gets a job as one of her writers. And this is a movie about how she enters the 21st century and how the show gets saved by embracing what a woman writer can bring to a show and what it means to let your guard down to your audience. We did it a little bit yesterday. I try to do it every show, trying to let you get a little piece of me, get you to know me a little better, what's real and genuine. Well, Emma Thompson in this movie, you see over the course of the two hours, she opens up and her audience embraces her. She combines with Minda Kaling after a lot of ups and downs, and the show ends up a success. No spoiler alert, but the reason you should see the movie is that if you want to see a perfectly written script with a wonderful performance by Emma Thompson, you've come to the right place. Go see Late Night. Megan Rapino. Why would I get to talk about Megan Rapino? Because she won the Sports Woman, Sports Person of the Year. This was a big deal. Uh, Sports Illustrated, when they name a sports person of the year, this is before Sports Illustrated became solely online and, and a little bit irrelevant and all of the craziness when they were sold and no one would buy them. And then the price was way lower than everyone thought. When you're the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year, we would wait with bated breath for that issue. Read that article. That's back when we could read an article more than sort of a thousand words. And we'd be super excited about it. Well, this year, Megan Rapino was named the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year Award. Why is it noteworthy? Because she is only the fourth woman in history to win the award alone, to stand on stage alone as the winner. Mary Decker, Billie Jean King, Chris Everett, and now Megan Rapino. That was from memory. Someone's testing me on that. Someone's checking on it, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Everett, King, Decker, Megan Rapino. So what happened? Why is this on the show today? Because Megan Rapino did something that bothers me. I love the fact that she stands up for women's rights. I love the fact that she represents and stands up for the LGBTQ community. I love the fact that she's outspoken. I love the fact that she celebrates goals by going into a corner, raising her arms and having the world focus on her. I'm in on the whole thing. What I don't love is when you win the sports person of the year, you then end up, it was not Billie Jean King? Who was it? It was Serena Williams. Okay, Serena Williams, Chris Everett, Mary Decker, Megan Rapino. Thank you, Coca. You could have said that to me earlier when I was listing them off, right? Instead of waiting till I'm past it and then somehow giving me the name that I was wrong. But of course, I'm going to correct myself in the middle and then potentially lose my train of thought, which I haven't done here. Megan Rapino gets the award, gets on stage. It's a huge gala. It's sponsored by Sports Illustrated. It's for the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the World of the Year. And she stands up and criticizes Sports Illustrated. 
she actually stands up and gives a quote basically saying she accepts her award and says, how can I be the fourth woman in 60 years to be worthy of this award? I don't think so. That's part of her acceptance speech. It would be like someone winning an Oscar and saying to the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, this is a horrific organization. How could you not honor women more? I'm fine. There should be more women nominated, winning awards. I'm fine, Megan. Find a better way to do it. Now, you're going to say, because you've got a huge audience at that awards, so you therefore want to do it when you've got a huge sort of captive audience. Well, there's a bunch of you watching and listening to this podcast. Did you watch that awards live? How big was her captive audience that she felt that was the right opportunity? How about standing up there, taking the microphone, accepting it and thanking them, and then having a conversation with them about what they can do to increase the exposure of female athletes, to increase the possibility that more female athletes can be named Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. Why use your time on stage spitting in the face of the very organization that you care enough about that you want to change? Megan can do way better than that, and she should have done better than that. Going to my pick of the day right now, and this is my favorite part of the show. I don't know what to do about it. So last night, I, I know you all bet the Sixers minus four over the Nuggets. I know that you had Embiid over Nikola Jokic because I told you to. And for whatever reason, don't the trend's your friend. Ride the guy while he's hot. I mean, I know that in gambling, you don't care if someone's hot, right? That's one of the funniest parts of the movie, Let It Ride. When Trotter says how hot he is, but yet no one wants to follow his picks, I get it. So I get that you may be fading me thinking the streak's going to end. It's like when you play roulette and there's been 10 reds in a row and you think, hey, the next one's got to be black. But then it's red again. Well, that's what's been happening with my picks. So today I give you a pick that will not win. I am taking the New York Knicks to actually cover in a game. I'm despondent, miserable. It's pathetic that the Knicks are only getting five against the Warriors. It shows how bad the Warriors are. When I saw this line, Knicks getting five, knowing that they're playing back-to-back, knowing that the, Warrior, that the Trailblazers crushed them by 30, knowing that Mike Miller is still looking for his first win as interim coach, knowing that the Knicks have zero chance of beating the Warriors. Zero. Even without Curry, Thompson, Durant, is Draymond playing? Don't know. Don't care. All I know is it's 10.30 p.m. game, Eastern. Don't stay up and watch it. Get some sleep or watch Late Night or watch Marriage Story or watch The Kaminsky Method or Schitt's Creek. Don't watch me lose this bet. Knicks plus five. You better take it. This is a very important wait to see update. Um, you know what we do with wait to see, right? When we get them right, when we get them wrong, we tell you. Well, last night was big because I got one wait to see right and one wait to see wrong. For the loyal listeners of the podcast, you may remember, I told you that there's no chance that Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, and Garrett Cole, all Scott Boris clients, two of those three will sign at least after the calendar turns to 2020. How did I do? I lost. Shockingly, Cole, Strasburg, 
both are going to sign before 2020. Now, I could tell you that they have not officially signed their actual contract. So I could use semantics to tell you that I have another victory for wait and see, but I'm not that guy. I lost. These deals were announced before 20. But I did win one, the easiest one of all. Garrett Cole, do you remember that wait to see? That Garrett Cole would get over $200 million. God, I totally snowed you guys. You should have made me say $300 million. And I no chance would have said it, and it would have caused me to lose. Well, I'm saying it. I only had over 200. That's a wait to see victory. My wait to see today is a little tougher. I read yesterday that Joe Burrow is flying into New York to have the Heisman Trophy given to him, and I figured that makes sense. He's flying in alone. And for whatever reason, I was told that actually Young, Hurts, Fields, there's three other guys flying into New York. Why exactly are you flying into New York when it's a guaranteed loss? It's almost like someone not named Trout or Bregman flying in to see if they won the American League MVP. So my wait to see is not that Joe Burrow will win the Heisman. That's too easy, and I respect you too much. My wait to see is that Joe Burrow rewrites the record book. Joe Burrow will win the Heisman Trophy by the greatest margin in the history of the Heisman. And he will gain the greatest percentage voting of anybody, taking Orenthal James Simpson out of the record book. It's about time to get O.J. Simpson out of the record book. Yes, he's in it as a Heisman Trophy winner. But not anymore. Joe Burrow will be the greatest Heisman winner by percentage and margin in history. And if you don't believe me, then you must never listen to me. It's always just about business. It's nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com